It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law. Featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Whit Brisky, an attorney at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys who focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. To learn more about us, go to maukbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. Today, I will be speaking with Hisham Shahab, who used to be a devout Muslim in Lebanon and considered Christians to be his enemies. Now, Hisham is the pastor of Salam Christian Fellowship, a ministry dedicated to sharing the gospel with Muslim and Middle Eastern immigrants in the Chicagoland area. Hisham, welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. Thank you very much. Uh, now, the last time you were with us, we talked mostly about your ministry. Can you explain briefly what your ministry is here in so, Chicago? Yeah, Salam Christian Fellowship is a ministry that proclaimed Jesus Christ uh, crucified and risen from the dead uh, to Muslims from the Middle East and North Africa. And we kind of also help them in the, integrate in the community and help them uh, get uh, uh, some public services, uh, translation, etc. So we call it social services. And we have baptized so far more than 45 people from the Middle East, and we have them every week for a worship service, you know, and uh, oh, Praise God. Time. Praise God for that. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, translation and working to improve the English to Arabic translation. And is that of, of the scriptures? Yes, right. Uh, in the late 90s and the 1990s in Lebanon, I noticed that uh, the... Bible we have in our hands then was called uh, Van Dyke uh, translation. Van Dyke was one of the founders of the American University of Beirut, and he had uh, three Lebanese scholars help him translate the Bible from original tongues to Arabic. But uh, that was published 1865, you know, so you can compare it to King James Version. So it was, it became archaic with time and... Uh, a lot of Muslims and even Arabs don't really understand it. So, so I felt the need for uh, a new translation, Arabic translation, that would kind of uh, uh, contextualize the gospel to Muslims. Especially, there are terms in the uh, in the old translation like salvation, like uh, uh, justification. Uh, uh, righteousness that are not understood by the Muslim mind, and you need uh, words that could connect and uh, make some sense to them, because uh, Van Dyke was like, uh, you know, King James, where you have to grow into it, you know, so uh, if you're a Muslim, you you have nothing to do with it, you know, so uh, I uh, moved to help uh, uh, a friend with uh, a Bible called Sharif Bible, so it really kind of made it easier to share the gospel with Muslims this way. Well, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. and so in, in part what you're doing is sort of moving the translation into contemporary uh, Arabic. Right. And of course, uh, there are a variety of accents and, and Arabic dialects uh, all over the, the Muslim world, right? Yes. 
Um, but also you're trying to find better ways of expressing some of these theological terms. Certainly, especially that, uh, you know, uh, the, the Muslims and Christians in the Middle East do not live, uh, you know, they don't understand each other. So their uh, terminology is different. Okay, okay. But, and yet, I, I think they use the same word for God, don't they? Certainly. Allah. Allah, Allah. yeah. yeah. Uh, there is a trend now within what we call evangelical Arab Christians to remove this name and say Rabb, which is means Lord. And uh, and by the way, uh, Christian Arabs used Allah for a long time. Uh, the Farsi, the, uh, the the Christian Iranians don't use Allah. They use Khuda, which means Lord, too, you know. But that's kind of not uh, really... Uh, well, you, you may not be aware of this, but in... I think it was uh, Malaysia. There was yeah. actually a, a prohibition yeah, right. of using Allah right. Right. Uh, to refer to a Christian God. Yeah, and they, but they won the case, I believe. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, and how does this help um, communicate the gospel to, uh, to to other Arabic-speaking people? One of the problems of uh, you know uh, Christian terminology and theology that. Uh, Muslims uh, are foreign to it, and they don't understand uh, the concept of salvation. For them, like dying on the cross is defeat, not victory. So how can you explain that, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, bring things uh, to their, you know, minds through comparison? Now, there are some sects like the Shiites who had a martyr called Hussein, so sometimes they may understand the crucifixion as a salvific or atonement uh, act more than the Sunni Muslims, but that's just uh, some cases. But uh, and uh, I mean, overall, it's kind of very kind of difficult to communicate the gospel and make it uh, understandable unless you really use uh, not only easy terms as well as audiovisuals. Hmm. Well, you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Whit Brisky of the law firm of Malk and Baker. If you missed part of this episode or want to hear other Lawyers for Jesus interviews, visit MalkBaker.com. You can also subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for legal updates with a biblical perspective. Today, we've been speaking with Hisham Shahab, pastor of Salam Christian Fellowship about his ministry and uh, um, what can American-born Christians learn from Christians who have lived largely among Muslims in the, in the Middle East? As I noted before, usually Christians and Muslims in the Middle East live in separate neighborhoods. Even when they do, do not and they both live in the same neighborhoods, they live in their own cocoons and they don't understand each other. So because of persecution, and other issues, Christian churches in the Middle East gave up on evangelism a long time ago. And uh, American-born Christians should not maybe learn much from Middle Eastern Christians, especially uh, they come with their own baggage. When they come here, there is, because of persecution, they come with hate and resentment towards Muslims. Uh, so, uh, but uh, maybe they can learn respect to some Middle Eastern or Islamic uh, cultural norms that do not violate our Western uh, and Christian values, really, you know. So uh, uh, Muslim communities are kind of uh, uh, 
uh, lack freedom of faith, freedom of religion, uh, children's rights, women's rights, and it's very kind of not really advisable to let Muslims, when they come here, create uh, communities after their Middle Eastern image, you know. Well, that's, uh, yeah, there are really, they're really two questions here. Yeah. One is, how do Muslim Middle Eastern immigrants affect our overall culture? And Certainly, is it something yeah. that we need to, to be concerned about? And secondly, uh, those Middle Eastern Christians who get here, and many are, are, in, um, are fleeing from persecution Certainly. and from very difficult situations. And I think maybe one thing we can learn from them is that persecution is real. I mean, we live kind of easy lives here. Well, certainly, but uh, uh, persecution is real, but the church here is facing also some pressure from the culture where we feel that you are not, uh, uh, you, you're be uh, kind of branded as a moron or a Jesus freak if you uh, preach the Bible or uh, express your uh, Christian faith, you know, and we are heading towards that if we don't stand up for our faith and uh, Proclaim Jesus, uh, you know, uh, irrespective of the social pressure and the cultural pressure we have. Mm -hmm. Do you have much contact with uh, Christian immigrants from Middle Eastern countries? Certainly, we have some people who come, and uh, some of them stay. They some do not, and uh, it depends really. And uh, usually, we we try to help them, kind of uh, accept. The, the concept of conversion, because many of them do not. Yeah, conversion of Muslims to Christianity, because, yeah, in, in the Middle East, they kind of suspect anybody who converts to, to from Islam to Christianity, and they think they are spies or they are after some kind of uh, interest or benefit or a bit or what have you. Well, and it's illegal in many, in many if Certainly, not all of those countries. It's illegal in many countries in the Middle East. Yeah, so, so you can't even do that. And in Iran, of course, a lot of our you know missionaries who have gone over there are arrested in Certainly. jail for years and years. Yeah, and um, even when a Muslim goes to a church and they uh, show that they want to, to learn more about Christianity, they are not really welcomed. And sometimes they have to go for years to show dedication or to be accepted. And then even when they are baptized, they are considered second-class Christians. Mm, right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah I just one kind of side comment. Uh, I've seen some stories, not in the United States, but in Germany, where they've had this large groups of Muslim immigrants to that country. Right. And many of them are going to church and becoming converted. And there's a suspicion among the, the Lutherans there who are Certainly. You know, that maybe they're, they really would just want to get permanent residency. Um, yes. We don't have that, that issue here, I don't think. Right. Uh, but, uh, but certainly this is something that needs to be, that needs to concern us, and uh, we need to think about this as a culture. Coming up, we're going to talk further with Hisham Shahab, pastor of Salam Christian Fellowship, about the differences between the Muslim and Christian worldviews. And we're going to get into some of these issues of uh, persecution and uh, differences in politics and political outlook. So stay with us.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Whit Brisky, an attorney at Malkin Baker, a law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. If you missed the first part of this show and want to listen online, go to malkbaker.com forward slash radio. Today, we've been speaking with Hasham Shahab, pastor of Salam Christian Fellowship, about uh, his ministry and about uh, the uh, problems that can be raised from uh, immigration of Muslims into the United States. But, you know, I, I guess before we get there, just the fact that there are Muslim immigrants here is the opportunity for your ministry. Certainly. I mean, without them, uh, you're not going to have anybody to to evangelize. Certainly. I mean, uh, they, they've been here before the wars started and the civil wars. They've been coming from uh, India, Pakistan, and what have you, Palestine, Jordan. So uh, they are in your Dunkin' Donuts, in your uh, coffee <laughs> shops, in your hospitals, in your uh, clinics. And your taxis. Colleges and taxis, yeah. yeah. Uber drivers, yeah. So you really, you know, you don't have to go to Africa or India to take a bullet or, you know, suffer or pay heavily the, for the expenses of travel, what have you. Yeah. Uh, now, how does the political ideology or attitude toward government differ between uh, particularly Muslim immigrants yes. and and Christians or, or right. Americans generally? Uh, Muslims mix religion with politics and believe that the kingdom of their God could be established on earth through the implementation of Sharia law. So Muhammad, the prophet of Islam and his successors established a theocracy and uh, but on the other hand, uh, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, right? And he said, render to Jesus to, uh, what to Jesus and to God what to God, right? So sadly, many Muslims uh, still live in the mentality of the Middle Ages because Islam did not go through an enlightenment. So they come here and they mix between Christianity and Hollywood even, you know, <laughs> and so... Uh, so the, 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 this is a problem that we face that they, they think that, uh, if I can say, uh, America is a Christian nation and it has to behave accordingly, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and, and I see the difference almost as a, right from the beginning where Christ came out and was preaching the gospel um, and, and was not asking people to go conquer, but rather trying to convince people to try to bring people to Christ. Right. Whereas uh, Muhammad started out right away with a war of conquest, which went on for, you know, a couple hundred years. Um, and so that is a totally different viewpoint and way of, of uh, spreading the religion. And so it really came from that. To, to be exact, we have to say that in the beginning, Muhammad uh, did spread Islam through persuasion, but when he was able to put roots and uh, conquer, if I can say, a town called Medina and establish a state, he turned into a warlord, you know, and then uh, came out with a sword. But he did not usually, they say, convert people by sword. I mean, according to the sources, except the pagan Arabs. You know, he gave uh, Christians three choices, to convert or to pay the poll tax called jizya or die. You know, so you have three choices, you know, uh, Christian and Jews. So, I mean, uh, and then he then he kicked them out of Arabia because uh, his successor, Omar, because they wanted Arabia to be purely Islamic. 
Mm-hmm. So there is no really kind of religious liberty exactly in Islam. And today Muslims uh, in majority Muslim countries believe in religious liberty for themselves only, not for others. So you can, for example, compare between Pakistan and India. Uh, I mean, in Pakistan, Muslims push for Sharia law and they kind of punish those who they suspect that they insult Islam or even uh, or, or evangelize and they have really sentences, harsh sentences for them. Uh, while in India, because they are a minority, it's really a large minority, millions, right. 150 million, yep. so they uh, call for democracy and uh, live in peace with, with the majority of Hindus. So... Uh, this is the problem that uh, when Muslims are a minority, they just go with the Western culture and try not to lose their identity. But when they become a large majority or, or a, minority, a large minority, I can say, uh, in a town, they try to impose their own values. And I think that's actually happening in some places in, in England and, and elsewhere. Where and Germany, Sweden, yeah, yeah. and uh, south side of Chicago, maybe. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and I want to get back to that in, yeah. in a little bit. But um, Christians have, as you mentioned, the Enlightenment uh, that Christians went through during the, you know, basically the 18th century. Uh, we began to realize that religious liberty was important and that you had to have religious liberty for all if you're going to have it at Certainly. all. And uh, that this was something that the government had to step away, and there is now, we talk about it as a separation of church and state. That's not quite accurate, right. but uh, it's a, um, the government doesn't try to tell the church what to do, and the church doesn't try to tell the government what to do. And But in we see the Islamic Republic of uh, Iran, or the Islamic yeah. Republic of Pakistan, and that's a completely different mindset where you're talking about running a government in accordance with um, a particular religious law or religious uh, theology. Certainly. And so this is this is something that we uh, need to watch out for and to understand the difference. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Whit Brisky of Malkin Baker. If you missed part of this episode or want to hear other Lawyers for Jesus interviews, visit malkbaker.com. You can also subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter. Today we've been speaking with Hisham Shahab, pastor of Salam Christian Fellowship. Hisham, there's a, uh, a lot of Muslim organizations yeah. uh, in, in the United States. And of course, we have freedom of association, we have freedom of religion, and we have, you know, we expect people to join together for these uh, kinds of common matters. Uh, but uh, what kinds of organizations do Muslims have within the U.S.? Well, we have uh, a lot of organizations that uh, are making, uh, uh, taking advantage of the, of the freedom we have. Uh, many uh, Muslims in their countries of origin couldn't really uh, 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 be active in the Muslim Brotherhood and uh, uh, kind of spread their own uh, uh, strain of uh, ideology, Islamic ideology, which is the Muslim Brotherhood. So they were, uh, uh, they left their home, uh, countries of origin, came here and established organizations that work freely and establish Islamic communities uh, that kind of 
act as a social base for their radical ideology, really. So uh, some of them is the Muslim Student Association, which is in every uh, 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 campus, college campus, almost in every college campus in the United States. And from that came Council on American-Islamic Relations called CARE, which really is very active in uh, kind of advocating, they say, uh, issues related to Islam, even though they promote their own strain of ideology and uh, try to uh, uh, promote uh, the Muslim Brotherhood ideology. There is Islamic Circle of North America. They are also Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, here, uh, there is also a Muslim American Society, which is also affiliated to the Muslim Brotherhood. And uh, the most foundation... Uh, in, on the south side of Chicago in Bridgeview is controlled by uh, uh, the, the imam is a Muslim Brotherhood and a, a Hamas sympathizer, you know. And uh, there is in Orland Park, another mosque called Orland Park cent a Prayer Center, also uh, controlled by a Muslim Brotherhood member. And he was the assistant of the guy in the uh, Bridgeview Mosque. Uh, there are others uh, like Mecca Center, controlled by Syrian Muslim Brotherhood. So they are, you know, different kind of Muslim Brotherhood. They all create a network together to kind of uh, promote their uh, radical ideology, Islamic ideology in the community on the south side of Chicago and radicalize the Muslims, really. There is another uh, kind of also uh, organization which is leftist that supports them and uh, recently has been out uh, 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 opposing uh, and calling for the uh, resignation of a Palos uh, Heights Township uh, board member, Sharon Brannigan, because she voiced her concern about uh, Middle Eastern students uh, coming chaotically, swamping the educational system. So that was years ago, and every month they go and try to to interrupt uh, uh, the uh, the meeting, the board meeting, and they come with loudspeakers, and uh, you know, and uh, it's like hooliganism. And uh, and we we need to know that uh, Islamists when they are opposed they are they don't have much civility they want their own way you know well i i appreciate that and uh, there are certainly these are things that we need to be watching for and uh, but uh, we're out of time so hasham thank you for speaking with us today how can people learn more about salam christian fellowship in your ministry they can go to our website salam christian fellowship.org and uh, there is uh, you know they have also a lot of stories. And if they want really to know about my uh, involvement in exposing and discrediting uh, uh, radical Muslims, they can uh, kind of uh, uh, look me up in American Thinker or GP Media. And if they also, uh, uh, the, the grid that I work with, Counter Islamist Grid. Yeah. If you have a legal need or or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. And Hasham, thank you for uh, being with us today. And uh, uh, it was a very interesting interview. Thanks for listening. I'm Whit Brisky, attorney at Malkin Baker. And this is Lawyers for Jesus. Don't have to save somebody. 
Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. 